When we look back on this pandemic, this week, this week that's felt like a month, we're going to see that it was a turning point. First it was Wuhan, then Italy and Spain. Now the decisions to lock down cities has reached the United States, with New York and Los Angeles shutting down bars and restaurants. The Ministry of Health that actualizes now the numbers of cases of new coronavirus here in Brazil. The coronavirus coronavirus appeared in Mexico. You can see it in the data. This has been the week when the line on the graph showing new infections of COVID-19 shot straight up. Life is changing in Australia as it is changing all around the world. Life is going to continue to change as we deal with the global coronavirus. The number of new cases is exploding all over the world. But at the same time, new cases are slowing way down in some of the cities that were hit hardest first. Wuhan reported its first day without a new case this week. 125 new cases were reported in China on Tuesday, the lowest since the end of January. But the outbreak is rapidly spreading elsewhere in the world. So we know two things. One, this virus can spread incredibly quickly. And two, it is possible to contain it, or at least slow it down. But there's no unified playbook. Every country, even every state, is tackling this crisis in a different way. So what's working and what isn't? I'm Malika Pilal, and this is The Take. Like a lot of you listening, I'm working from home now. I'm actually recording this in my bedroom closet. We've got colleagues and friends who are doing the same all over the world. We wanted to hear from them. What is the playbook where they are? What does the response look like from the ground? So we asked them for voice memos. We're starting in Iran. There were giant posters in in major parts of the city, in big squares in Tehran, giant murals and images depicting nurses and doctors in full hazmat suits assisting patients. You know, they, they were described as the healthcare heroes of the nation. Zain Basravi is in Tehran right now, reporting for Al Jazeera. But taking practical steps on the ground, the government has been arguably too slow in terms of trying to contain the virus. The very necessary steps that have worked in other countries, like closing off cities, uh, shutting down population centers, uh, closing religious sites, those were known vectors for the virus here in Iran very early on in the outbreak. Those steps still haven't been taken in full measure. Iran was hit early and hard by COVID-19. More than 17,000 people have gotten sick there. More than 1,100 are dead. To understand how things got so bad so fast, Zane says you have to go back to the last week of February. That's when the country was holding its parliamentary elections. At the time, there were only about two verified cases in the city of Khum. And truth be told, no one really took it seriously. After the elections, the number of cases seemed to spike, and the government was criticized for trying to keep it quiet to make sure that voter turnout wasn't affected. Then, officials downplayed the situation. But before long, there was no denying that this was serious. Government leaders themselves started getting sick. 
Uh, now, Khum is a major political powerhouse of a city. So we've seen a lot of to and fro of senior political players during the elections. Dozens of current and former officials have contracted the virus, and at least 10 so far have died from it. Zayn said now, the tone has totally changed. Leaders are begging people to stay home. Some people are taking it to heart. Some people are panicking. One of the stories that's come out of Iran is that a lot of people are dying from alcohol poisoning. People have been drinking industrial-strength ethanol, thinking it could protect them from the virus. More than 150 people have died in this way. The healthcare services in different provinces have reported that over 1,200 cases of alcohol poisoning have actually happened across the country. And this is primarily happening in lower income areas um, where people don't necessarily have access to better information or better, more reliable health care. Zayn says for leaders in Iran, calculating a response all comes down to the economy. The whole world is fearful of the massive economic impacts of the crisis right now. But Iran's economy is already teetering because of the stranglehold of economic sanctions imposed by the U.S. Sanctions and a lack of access to the open market is something that has left this country more unprepared to carry on. Iran is not able to sustain the same level of perhaps uh, healthcare services that another country could. Um, Iran has had some help from its allies. The UN agencies are providing um, some medical equipment as well. Um, they, there is money and resources being pumped into uh, Iran's medical infrastructure to try to help them. But if we're really being honest here, this this is great for the short term. It's very necessary and required right now. But in the long term, this is really putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. And that gaping wound is Iran economically being unable to have enough of a robust healthcare system that it can withstand uh, stress tests like this. Iranian officials are demanding sanctions relief. But this week, the U.S. actually imposed new sanctions on Iran. Zayn says it's been hard to report on all this. Iran's a difficult place to report from, even in the best of times. And now, with everybody isolated at home, it's even harder. There's a lot of chatter about the government telling families of victims not to talk to anyone. And that's part of the government trying to maintain control of the official narrative. But people are finding ways to share their stories. The social media landscape here is thriving. There are all kinds of apps and people very much live a whole other reality on their phones, on their laptops. And people are sharing tragic stories of uh, relatives unable to attend funeral services of loved ones that have died from infection for fear of being infected themselves. Uh, people being buried in the dead of night, not receiving traditional uh, services or funeral rites. Um, a doctor whose pregnant wife uh, died along with their child. He went outside the hospital, cried for a little while, and then went back straight in, back straight into work uh, treating other patients. So these types of stories are, are all over the place. Um, certainly the veracity trying to establish whether they're true or not is difficult, but seeing how the death toll keeps ticking up, these are very believable stories of, of how Iranians are going through some of the most difficult experience um, perhaps in their lives. It's Nowruz, Persian New Year, the biggest holiday season of the year in Iran. But the streets, the restaurants, the resorts, they're empty. 
large events and gatherings of uh, large groups of people have all been cancelled. Uh, large parties are being discouraged. The spirit of the holiday does seem uh, alive and well. Outside of the window, I could still hear people setting off fireworks from their backyards. Uh, and in smaller groups, in, 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 in family units, there are certainly still celebrations going on inside people's homes. Zane's home is in Doha, only a two-and-a-half-hour flight away. But he's not getting there anytime soon. My biggest concern is exactly how long this might go on. The problem is Iran was already one of the most isolated countries on the planet. Um, and this, the spread of this virus has sort of been the impetus for even more isolation. Uh, fewer flights, closed land borders, closed ports... Even at the embassies, the, the consular staff here don't know what to tell people that are trying to get back home, that are trying to get back out. So I guess my, my biggest fear at the moment is uh, when I'll be able to see my family again. In January and early February, it was really not much different than anywhere else in the world. This is Eric Kirschbaum. He's in Berlin, where he reports for the L.A. Times. He said Germany got lucky in one sense because the virus hit Italy first. Germans saw it coming. The first case appeared there at the end of January, and Eric said at first, there wasn't much urgency in the official response. Not really much of a public announcement, no real restrictions on travel to or from China. But once it reached Europe, that's when the German government really started jumping in and ramping up precautions, warning people to wash their hands, not to shake hands. So the government started taking it very seriously at the end of February, the beginning of March. They canceled the um, ITB Berlin tourism uh, conventions. 160,000 people were on their way to Berlin, and that got canceled like almost immediately. It was a big shocking move because there was a lot of money that was lost. A lot of people were hurt, taxi drivers to hotels, and uh, it seemed like a shocking move then. But once it became clear how rapidly it was spreading in Italy, how inundated the hospitals were becoming with, with ill people. The German government and, and German society really took to this. The coronavirus is dramatically changing life in our country at this time. Our concept of normality, of public life and of social contact is being tested as never before. Germans um, are cautious people anyway, and this just appealed to their cautiousness. Um, and so they just they began taking it seriously, staying inside, calling in sick, not going to work. Eric said there are a few other factors to point to that really illustrate why Germany is set up to deal with the outbreak relatively well. It also has a fantastic hospital system with 1,900 hospitals. It has more intensive care beds per capita than any other country in Europe. They've got health care for everybody here. There's amazing job security here. People never get laid off for calling in sick. And the average German calls in 17 times sick a year. And they are taking this really seriously. They're watching the news. There's a lot of public broadcasting networks here in Germany. They're following them closely around the clock. They're, they're, they're doing what they're being told to do. I mean, in Italy, people might not always believe the government and do what they're told. But if the Germans are told to stop doing something, they tend to stop doing it. Eric said one of the things that's really stood out about the situation in Germany is that the death rate there has been really low compared to what we're seeing in Italy and the rest of Europe. All these things he mentioned have probably played a role in that. But even as the numbers are rising, the percentage of people dying is staying low. And he said one big reason that's the case 
is that so many people are getting tested. By the first week of March, Germany was testing 12,000 people a day, even if they weren't seriously sick. By comparison, this week, the U.S. was only running a little over 2,000 tests per day. And that's probably one of the reasons why Germany has a high number of confirmed cases compared to the low number of deaths. Lots of Germans I know have been tested and so far negative. It's pretty easy to get a test in Germany. You can go to the doctor if you have symptoms and it doesn't cost a thing. So in general, the high number of tests in Germany has certainly contributed to the way that Germany has a better picture of how many people actually have coronavirus. Eric said, if you could pick where to live right now, while this crisis unfolds and the global economy is reeling, Germany would probably be it. Because he's watched the country deal with massive blows before and weather some serious storms. I lived in Germany in 2008 and 2009, and the government responded to the financial crisis in an amazing way. They pumped lots of money into the system. They bent over backwards to keep people from being laid off. And it was an amazing, brilliant example of the way government stimulus packages used at the right time can improve the psychology of the country and keep keep people from losing their jobs and despairing. Germany is doing the same thing again right now. The government is jumping in making all kinds of really expensive promises to make sure wages are going to continue to be paid. Even freelancers are going to be able to get some kind of financial support so they'll be able to keep paying their rent and pay their bills. They're doing really all they can to make sure that the corona crisis does not lead to an economic crisis. The outlook feels different in the U.S. But across this country people are finally heeding the directives on social distancing. I think at this point, almost everyone is on the same page. Stay indoors and away from others. Ian Morse reports for Al Jazeera in Seattle, Washington. It's the epicenter of the outbreak in the States. The first case in the U.S. was reported in a community nearby. The first deaths were there, too. Ian said this week, they had some rare sunshine. So a lot of people here are taking advantage and getting outside, as long as they can keep their distance from others, of course. Most people stay home from work, which gets difficult with kids when you've lost the childcare that schools provide. All schools are closed now, most indefinitely. Ian said that local officials' response in Seattle has been pretty remarkable. Some researchers in the city were running a study on the common flu. And back in February, they did something unorthodox. They defied an order from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they started looking for COVID-19 among their samples. They started getting positives right away. And that's how the U.S. discovered that this new virus was spreading from person to person in the community. And it had been for weeks. Health officials, after that, quickly ramped up their response They told people with symptoms to stay home, quarantine sick people in hospitals. But the federal government had botched the first round of kits, testing kits. And then they have been very slow on distribution for the next round of kits. So there's simply not enough kits to test even those who have symptoms. And we don't know a lot about the spread because of that. The top government epidemiologists have now said the system has failed There simply was no one in government prepared for an outbreak in the federal government. 
And when it happened, information was kept from the public deliberately to avoid panic. And in fact, President Trump told the country the virus would simply disappear. And so far, we have lost nobody to coronavirus in the United States. I mean, view this the same as the flu. When somebody sneezes, I mean, I try and bail out as much as possible with the sneezing. Ahead of I don't think it's inevitable. I probably will. It possibly will. It could be at a very small level or it could be at a larger level. Whatever happens, we're totally prepared. We have the best. This is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All these things have just reduced the amount of information we know about the disease and is likely much more widespread than we know. But there are still not enough tests. So they say if you have symptoms, just stay home and no need to get tested. Just quarantine yourself. One of the stories that's grabbed headlines is how the outbreak ripped through a nursing care facility in Kirkland, Washington, not far from Seattle. And it's not just nursing homes. It's places that are in close quarters where people are in close proximity, interacting with each other all the time, sharing things, breathing the same air, and which could also be jails, which could be schools, which could be immigration detention centers, all these kinds of things. Ian said he's watched the economy grind to a halt around him. Business has slowed for some and has completely stopped for others. Several restaurants have shut their doors, some temporarily, but some for good because sales have completely disappeared. There are a lot of wage workers and others who have lost jobs and paychecks as a result of this. And those people don't have a social net that will catch them and keep them from becoming homeless or falling into poverty. Seattle ranks among the worst in the nation for homelessness rates. And these are the people with a high with high rates of disease as well. Before he put himself on lockdown, Ian went to one of the city's homeless camps. He met a woman who just called herself Lovey. And he talked to her through the front flap of her tent. She told him she was worried about getting sick, but she had nowhere to go. She reached her hand out of her tent once at one point to ask for hand sanitizer, and I gave it to her immediately. But she took it and dripped it in a can. She had asked for the hand sanitizer because it makes good lighter fluid. I think she believed, and she was probably right, that a warmer tent means less chance of other diseases like pneumonia, which can make you more susceptible to the virus. I feel like some areas are only just understanding what needs to be done. But in some cases, this is weeks too late because the virus is here and it's going to be staying for a while at least. Although I know people who are continuing to go out in large groups, even the president, when he made the announcement to keep groups under 10, there are at least 16 people in that room. Uh, The virus is going to get worse before it gets better. And that's The Take. The news is pretty grim right now. We are all feeling grim right now. But I've also been seeing beautiful stories come out of this crisis. Little moments of joy on my Twitter timeline. I want more of them. So tell me, what has happened to you this week that's good? What have you seen that's given you hope? Share it with us. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. This episode was produced by Graylin Brashear, who is also Al Jazeera's head of audio. She had help from me, Malika Bilal. 
Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Dina Kispe, and Amy Walters. Alex Roldan is our team sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. Be sure to subscribe to The Take on whatever podcast app you like best. We'll be back. 